1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 142 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday. It is about to be Thanksgiving week, and joining me to celebrate the festivities or something like that, the great Joe Lucia of Awful Announcing, the comeback, other places. What's up, man?
0: Hey doing, Brad. Happy Thanksgiving.
1: You as well. It, it does feel early. I recorded a, a Hawks podcast earlier today that actually had a sort of a Thanksgiving theme, so that made me sort of get in the spirit. And this will be the last show we have, barring like a massive, weird trade between now and Thursday uh, before Thanksgiving. So, happy Thanksgiving to everyone that's listening and to all your families, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the only real agenda item we have today is to talk about the lineup because uh, we've not done that little uh, review um, of the past. But there's a couple of news items to hit on, um, two of which were awards that the Rays won this week. Ronald Acuna won Rookie of the Year. No surprise there. Brian Snicker won Manager of the Year. No surprise there. Um, let's just start with Acuna real quickly. I guess the only surprise there that I had was that uh, was the margin. I thought he was going to win, but the fact that he like did he was it was it what was the final margin? I don't have it in front of me actually. I forgot to write, write that down. It was a very very lopsided margin for Akuna winning Rookie of the Year. That kind of surprised me a little bit.
0: Yeah, he completely dominated the voting. He had uh 27 first place votes and 3 second place votes. So he was top 2 on every ballot. And uh, for all the whole uh, Juan Soto is going to contend with him for the award or whatever. He only picked up two first place votes. So it's not like there was uh there wasn't there was not much of a contest when everything uh came down to it with all the voting came in which I think is well deserved for Macuna. He absolutely was the NL Rookie of the Year this season, fantastic year, and he definitely proved in the voting.
1: Soto had that um, a little bit of a head start on Acuna, was awesome. By the way, Juan Soto is a very deserving Rookie of the Year and the vast majority of years, he was awesome. (laughs) I I think it's become this weird thing now where Braves fans have to not like Juan Soto. I like Juan Soto a lot, he's very good at baseball. Um, He just wasn't quite as good as Ron Acuna in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and the thing about Soto is like Okuni was so much better in nearly every like aspect of the game. When you're arguing Soto, you were essentially saying, well, he's a year younger, which, okay, no big deal. He walked more, and for some reason, people kept bringing up win probability added as if that's a thing that people should care about and matters. In awards
1: so, In awards voting? <laughs> yeah, so
0: when you're pulling at straws like that, I think everybody kind of could see the writing on the wall.
1: Yeah, I thought he was going to win, and he did, so that, I guess we could probably leave it there, but Ronald Acuna is good. We'll come back to him later on in the podcast. Uh, Brian Snicker won manager of the year. I will say I called that in, I believe, like May 10th. I said, I said it on the podcast. As soon as the Braves, it was clear the Braves weren't fading away. I thought Snicker was going to win manager of the year. Um... We can talk about whether he deserved it or not, but honestly, the narrative was there. He had the great, um, the great journey through the organization. The team overachieved this year, and that is pretty much the recipe for Manager of the Year winners almost every year. It's always the guy with the, with the best narrative, and he had and he had it by a pretty clear margin. Same thing though. I was a little bit surprised about, about how easily he won it too, but um, no surprise at all that he actually did win it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely deserved award he did not have the best tactical year but obviously the Braves had a fantastic year he played a significant part in that but remember this doesn't exactly mean much of anything Paul Mahler won the manager of the year award last year and got fired this offseason so but you know what good for him fantastic could not be happier but it's not going to tell us much of anything
1: that's true. And manager of the year is the weird one in that they're really, you know, there are no stats for manager of the year. Like, team wins is basically it. And the Braves won a lot more than they were supposed to win coming into the year. That usually is a good recipe for a guy to win manager of the year. I thought Craig Council did a good job. There are other guys who did, who did, who did nice jobs this year, but Snicker, you know, players love him. Um, I don't, you know, my, my tactical stuff's very uh, very much out there if you want to find it about how I feel about that. But uh, to keep it positive in this space today, Snicker is someone who managed the clubhouse flawlessly to the point where everyone in that clubhouse would rather die for him. And that, that does matter. Um, and the fact that, you know, again, the team was very good this year. They made the playoffs. They were not supposed to do that. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs. I don't think anybody did. So that kind of set the table. And I I mean, I really wasn't kidding. I think people, thought, people think that even now that I was kidding in May when I said he was going to win Major of the Year. And I was dead serious because once the Braves were good, it was like kind of always going to happen. And it did. So there you go.
0: Yeah, and if you noticed at all during the season, like there was no like rumblings of clubhouse drama or anything Zero. like that. It, it was unlike any season I had ever experienced because there was nothing at all that could ever be considered contentious or anything like that. And I think a lot of that has to do with Snitker in the way that uh, a lot of these guys came up through the organization together. They're familiar with each other. And clubhouse chemistry, man, when it works, it works.
1: That is, uh, that is very true. Clubhouse chemistry does matter. And listen, it it, does, it matters. Uh, it's one of those things that you can never quantify, which is why people have trouble trouble with it, including myself. Like, it's just tough to figure out um, how that all works. But at the same time, it, it clearly matters. And uh, he was very good at it this year. Um, the other award, award-related award thing is that Freddie Freeman finished fourth in NL MVP voting. There was a brief moment when I thought he might win it. Um, Kind of you know, midway through the year, somewhere in there, when he was uh, having a great year. He definitely cooled off a lot after that. And by the end of the season, it was all Yelich, and we all knew he was going to win. Um, Freddie finished fourth. That's kind of where he probably should be. He finished behind um, Baez and Arenado, ahead of DeGrom and Goldschmidt. Um, Acuna actually finished 12th. And Marcakus finished 18th. He got a couple. He got a couple of votes for the first time in his career, as well. I you know I can't imagine. Honestly, I can't imagine voting for Acuna or Marcakus on the ballot here. I guess Acuna, if you were to just sort of wait your award, voting for you know impact late in the year. But you know his body of work was impressive. But neither one, neither one of those guys probably should have gotten votes. But Freeman deservingly got votes. Finished fourth, and I had no problem with that whatsoever.
0: I think the funny part about Marcakis is that he got two 10th place votes, and neither of those 10th place votes was from Dave O'Brien, who actually got (laughs) to vote on the NL MVP this year and did not give his 10th place vote or any vote to Nick Marcakis.
1: Well, that is, that is, it's kind of funny. I mean, without even, not even, this isn't necessarily a DOB thing. Like, most of the time, a guy. If you if, if you if you have a guy like that with the narrative behind them, and someone who probably shouldn't be getting votes. Normally, if they do get votes, it comes from hometown people that have been covering them, and that didn't happen here, which is interesting. I mean, the narrative there. I actually saw a couple of stories on this. Was that Marquez had never had never received votes in his whole career, even dating back to Baltimore, where he probably had a couple seasons where he should have gotten votes, uh, not winning not winning the award, but some sort of balloting, and never got them. So you know, shots to him. He was obviously very good this year, and we'll talk about that more. Later on, we talk about his individual play, but Freeman, you know, I I, I kind of wish deep down, I think this might've been his best chance at an MVP award. Um, at least if you were to grab my time capsule from August, I think if he had had like a Torres stretcher on, he probably would have won it because the, the narrative would have been there. But Yelich had that stretch on and Freeman did not. And that's, you know, Freeman actually had better numbers offensively than Javier Baez did, but Baez played all over the place and had definitely more juice behind him. And Arenado... I would also argue that Freeman might have been better then, at well, least close. You know, Arenado's splits are always interesting. His his home road stuff is very jarring always, but his, his defense is really valuable too. So again, n- no issue whatsoever. I do want to ask you sort of philosophically real quick, what do you make about pitcher and MVP? I, I actually don't know how you feel about this, and without going too deep into this, you know, DeGrom, DeGrom finished fifth. He won the Cy Young pretty comfortably, but do you think... You know, is it does it take a special special case for a pitcher to be considered for MVP, or are you somebody that kind of leans more in that pitcher direction?
0: I have no problem with giving a, a pitcher votes in the MVP, but I would personally only vote them near the top of the ballot if there isn't an outstanding candidate in the position player field this year. With Yelich, who was absolutely phenomenal, Degrom obviously had fantastic year, deserving of his Cy Young award, and I would have put him somewhere on my MVP ballot, not first, maybe second. was going gonna say, I think if if I'm I'm looking at it right,
1: yeah, I'm looking at it now. Like I think I might have voted him second. Like that wouldn't be, I wouldn't have probably done that, but I'm I am totally okay if anyone voted him second. Yeah, and, like,
0: you look at, like, Max Scherzer the last two or three years, he's another guy that was deserving of all the MVP votes you want to give him. (laughs) Because if you're a guy, I think you have to throw at least something like 210 innings or something like that. Because if you do that, you're really having a huge impact on the game. And if you're pitching at such a high level, like the year when uh, Justin Verlander won, was it three, four, five years ago, whenever it was, he won he had something like 240 innings, I think, some kind of incredible number like that. If you're putting in the innings like that, then I think he definitely deserves MVP votes.
1: I'm, I'm kind of with you, though. It takes a perfect storm of someone just dominant as a pitcher and not a great position player candidate. And I think by the end of the year, Jelic was a pretty easy choice. Um, so I think he would have been number one for any rational person. I know he did He get all, no, he didn't get them all. DeKron got one, which is, I think, if you were voting for someone other than Jelic. It probably should have been Degrom, if that makes sense. Like he was the only person like you could construct an argument for. I still would I still would lean Yelich, but I do think that if you're picking a position player over Yelich, you have lost your mind. Whereas whereas if you want to say the pitcher value leans far enough, I'm actually okay with that, if that makes sense. Like I I think Degrom had a better argument than guys like Baez, Arenado, and Freeman did, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, especially when you compare, like, I hate doing the whole team performance thing, but when you compare the team performance, I mean, the Brewers finished above the Cubs in the division, the Rockies only won a wild card, so why would you end up giving either of those guys the edge over Yelich when Yelich was so much better offensively?
1: I mean, and even, it wasn't like he's bad defensively, he's very good defensively too, like, There wasn't a situation this year where you had the guy with the best offensive numbers that had a defensive weakness because he's very good in the outfield. So he checked, he checked, he checks every box between, you know, playoff team, best offense, really good defense. It was kind of a no brainer, honestly. So we can kind of leave it there. But I always wanted to, I wanted to ask you. Sometimes it's fun to veer, you know, into non Braves topics. And that was one of them, even uh, if not a super important one. Um, Okay, after that, a couple of just... That was kind of the only news items. There was a little bit of rumblings on the Ramuto front this week. He's been the uh, most popular trade target discussion... I will say Mark Bowman, who I think is the most plugged-in guy when it comes to the Braves. I do think there are other guys who are plugged in between Gabe and Dob and whoever else, but Bowman is the guy who I would probably lean on the most. Uh, that's not just, no shade to anybody else, but Bowman's just been there forever and knows everybody and et cetera, et cetera. And he he deemed the real Moto pursuit very unlikely from the Braves, which I've kind of thought for a while. But the Marlins are apparently just asking for the moon, which they I guess they probably should to a certain step. But apparently that's just been so absurd. Like they want Acuna, which is not happening clearly um but what do you, what do you make of that like do you think there's i mean I know what Bowman's saying and I know what the what, what the rumblings are is there a chance that Jeter and company lessen their demands is he just going to be like the division thing is out there which I think is nuts but if you're the Marlins like do do you I guess but what do you, what do you think the chances are that anything comes together there I kind of I kind of want just want to bury it honestly I'm I'm kind of tired of just talking about it cuz every week there's like enough where I have to mention it but I think it's probably not going to happen
0: there are enough teams that need catching that if the Marlins don't want to deal with the Braves, the Marlins don't have to deal with the Braves. They can get the value they theoretically want elsewhere without having to go into the uh, Braves depth of prospects. If they want to go to, I don't know, the Yankees, they can get a, a definitely comp a comparable package. But the way I look at it with the real Muto thing is don't get me wrong. He's a great catcher, great player, but when I hear people with the Marlins talk about how they think his value has gone up after 2018, I don't that's, understand that either. Yeah. that's something that, like, I understand you have to put that out there. But if they actually believe this, like, do they understand how this works? I mean, the guy's got another thousand or so innings on those knees behind the plate. He's going to be 28 in March. Uh, he has one less year of control, so you're only getting him for two years instead of three. I mean, he's still going to bring back a lot, but asking for someone like Acuna or uh, other top tier prospects, it just seems like. Uh, shooting a little bit too high for me because all you're going to do is just get people to hang up on you. Like uh, if you're in a fantasy league and you start asking for the moon for a player, I mean, no one's just going to deal with you anymore. And when the Marlins start doing that, I think teams are just going to say, okay, we're going to look in another direction. Thanks, but no thanks. And, by the time that spring training rolls around, you've alienated all your suitors and you've got this guy whose value you think is higher, but you're not getting this value for him. It's a situation where I just don't know what they can do without lowering their demands unless some team gets really desperate and has to do something.
1: They're clearly being silly if they're asking for a Acuna and if they're actually serious. That's never ever going to happen. But your point that you made at the beginning is an important one that they don't have to deal with the Braves. Like the Braves could offer the best package. I think I said this about a couple weeks ago, even, but I'm going to say it again now. The Braves could have the best package objectively, and if the Marlins don't like that package, or if the Marlins don't want to trade him to Atlanta, or if the Marlins don't like um, Alex Anthopoulos or whatever, whatever the reason is, they don't have to do it. Like I cover the NBA um, probably more sourcing wise and like a little bit closer than I do baseball. I know of at least two instances where. Teams had the best packages available for different players, and they were not the ones that got that player because the teams just didn't like the GM, or they didn't like that team, or it was divisional stuff. Same sort of thing, like, but objectively better packages, and teams were just like, nah, I don't want to deal with you. And it does happen. I mean, it does seem silly to me and outsiders, but think about it. As you mentioned the fantasy league example, think about just someone you don't like in your life. Like, if you just have someone that you work with or that you work tangentially with or for that you really don't like, if you don't have to deal with them, you're just not going to do it. And that is, I mean, again, I'm not reporting that. It may not be the case. But if Marlins, if, if if the division thing is their most important building block or stumbling block, I should say, they just might take a worse deal somewhere else. And that's kind of the reality. So if all the rumblings that we're hearing are true, it doesn't seem like he's come to Atlanta. It's not a huge thing for me. I've never, been a little bit lower on him than other people have. He's very good, Um, but what you said is very true as well, is that uh, another year, I mean, it was the best year of his career, so I know why they have to spin it that way to just say, look, he's better than he's ever been. I get that, but now he's only two years in control. Catchers terrify me, just objectively. It wouldn't matter who it was. I mean, all catchers terrify me. Um, Maybe if they're 22, they'll be a little bit less scary, but at 28, I mean, how many catchers in the league are still good at 30? Like, are still like... Good is the wrong word. How many elite catchers stay elite past thirty if they were already elite before that? Like, look down the list and try to find me a few guys who were like, awesome at twenty-five and are still awesome at thirty. It's not a very long list.
0: i like, do you remember like when Sal Perez was like the greatest young catcher in the league? He was good. Yeah. And this year he hit 27 dongs and he had a 274 on base and he's 28 now and they're paying him through the nose because the Royals are stupid. I do not want to get into a situation like that with Real Muto where the Braves trade for him, give him like a five or six year extension and he immediately starts going downhill and all this money you have into him is just a sunk cost and he's giving you Tyler Flowers level production.
1: Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go even, even if the Braves traded for him. And there, there are certainly situations where I would trade for him if the package lines up with what you want. I would never give him a multi-year extension. No chance. I mean, maybe if it was like a massive discount, which why would it be? But two years is enough for me, man. Like I'm I keep the guy through thirty, and I'm not signing a catcher for any any big money for long term. I'm I'm just never going to do that. Honestly, I just I don't ever see it. It might work. I mean, that's the thing. Maybe Realmuto is one of those rare guys that's really going to be still good till they're 33 34, but more likely than not, he's not going to be. And then you're back to where you used to be. And frankly, again, I said this over and over again, but the Braves have gotten really good production versus the league average from Flowers and Suzuki the last two years. Like, it's not flashy, it's not sexy. They have Flowers back for next year. They don't catcher is a need, and that they have to sign someone to play alongside Flowers. But it doesn't need to be anything splashy. Like it doesn't have to be that catcher is a spot around the league where I know you know this very well as someone who covers the whole league. Catcher is a wasteland in a lot of places. Like you don't have to have a top tier guy catcher to be good. Like most teams don't.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of the messaging around Real Muto is getting a little bit muddled because he's the best catcher on the market. But, I mean, he's not Mike Piazza. He's not, like, a top 10 hitter in the league as a catcher. He's maybe not even a top 30 hitter in the league as a catcher. He's just really good for a position that across the league is really bad. So we start reaching and making him out to be this thing that he isn't. I mean, his offensive numbers last year were pretty similar to Yasmani Grandal's.
1: Who's a guy that. I mean, the Braves have been linked to. I know he was sort of a disaster in the playoffs, but Grandall for no prospect capital, I still think I'd rather have that. I mean, there's a price point where it doesn't make sense. But if you if you assume a reasonable contract for Grandall, that does make a lot of sense for the Braves versus...
0: The only know. thing about Grandall that worries me is that he got the qualifying offer, and he turned it down. So Yeah, that, that does scare me a little bit. I crazy. think that's going to really screw with his market, but... On the other hand, because his market might be a little depressed, a team like the Braves could swoop in late and get him for an incredible value.
1: Right. And I mean, as you mentioned, the value, I think qualifying offer, people scare people off all the time. There's still a price point where I'm OK giving the draft pick up. Like it's, you know, it is what it is.
0: Yes, it's its not. It's not the point where like it
1: matters, but it doesn't matter that much. You know what I mean? It's not like
0: you're giving up a draft pick to sign Michael Kadir.
1: No. Like, Grandal is the kind of guy where I don't love catchers, but, you know, he's at least a high-end player at, at his position. I wouldn't be doing that for, like, a second-tier pitcher. Like, pick whatever. Which Was it you Ryu got, that got the qualifying offer? Um, yeah, I wouldn't do that for him, for instance. Yes. Like But, you know, that kind of – if you're getting, like, a top-five catcher in the league, which Grandal has been, that's probably worth it. Um. And again, it's I don't I don't wanna pay the qualifying offer price of the draft pick and overpay, but if you're getting a bargain in like January when there's just no market, that's worth it. Like it's you know it's all fluid, but at the end of the day, real mutzo doesn't seem likely. I wouldn't be over the moon about going out and getting him. And given where the price point seems to be at this point, I, I want no part of it, frankly.
0: I completely agree with you. It just seems like the bidding is starting way too high, and at this level, it does not make any sense for the Braves to engage at this level.
1: It's got to come down, or else, the, I mean, maybe, maybe it doesn't. The Marlins are not smart, so maybe it doesn't come down, but this they have to trade him, don't they? I mean, Am I crazy? Like, this is the only, they have to trade him. I don't understand how they he- wouldn't.
0: He's like their one good player left on a team that lost ninety eight games last year. So and he's not signing. Officially,
1: already said that. Like he's not but, signing.
0: But then again, it's the same Marlins team that acquired Starlin Castro in the Stanton trade and didn't flip him. They kept him all season. So
1: <laughs> for, for no reason at all. Uh, and, yeah, right, and they talked about Justin
0: Bour as a building block last year, and then traded him. I think in August for next to nothing. So
1: the Marlins and the Marlins, man. Um, they they don't they never disappoint. I'll say. So who knows? Uh, that's, that's kind of where I'll leave it, but I think it's unlikely these he's coming to Atlanta, which is uh, what people listening to this podcast probably care about more than anything else. Um, the other, the only other thing from, from, the, from the Bowman mailbag this week was that he definitively said the Braves are not going to sign Harper or Machado. You and I knew this already, but I think people were at least a little bit surprised or at least took note of that. I have thought for a while. I think Anthapos basically said the same thing. Like he didn't say it as as explicitly as Bowman did, but they're not going to sign Harper or Machado.
0: Yeah, and... Um... It would be great to see Bryce Harper in the Braves outfield, even though some Braves fans would probably start dry heaving the moment they saw that.
1: Oh, we know that's going to happen. If, they, if oh, that if ever okay. happens, that's going to happen. But yeah,
0: case. but uh, they're not paying $300 million to one player. I mean, come on now. We knew this.
1: It's... We, we did know that. <laughs> I just wanted to say it out loud because people. Uh, I, I saw some people that were reacting to Bowman with some, not surprise, but like, oh, really? I'm like, you guys are su- like. Even mildly surprised by this. Like, I understand maybe you want to keep your options open, but there are enough suitors for those guys that have big money where the price point's not going to drop that far. Maybe they get, maybe Harper gets two hundred eighty million instead of three hundred, but the Braves aren't doing that either. Like, it have to. Yeah, it's
0: it's not like you're going to get Bryce Harper on three years, seventy five million.
1: No, that's that's not that's not part of the equation. It's going to be a. If you get if you get a guy like that on a short-term deal, it's like you're paying 40 million a year probably. <laughs> and even short-term, it's probably because of opt-outs. Like there's there's just no way that either one of those guys is taking a discount large enough for Atlanta to be the team that signs them. No, and there's
0: no reason for them to take a discount Correct. either. And there's no like ties to Atlanta or the organization that a discount might even come into play. This isn't like Chipper Jones who was drafted and played his entire career with the Braves. This is Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. There's like maybe no you get the discount to the from the franchise.
1: Freeman. Yeah, I mean maybe when Freeman becomes a free agent you get the discount from him because he's been here the whole time. Maybe he just wants to stay. That's the kind of guy who gets it who gives a discount. Guys from the guys from outside the organization are not going to come on their one big payday, their one guaranteed monster payday. They're not going to take a discount to come to a place that they've never been before. It doesn't. Yeah, make I mean, a lot even, of sense. even
0: like Gary Sheffield when he was with the Braves, he was fantastic. He he wanted absolutely no part of a discount and he did not give a discount. So and by that the way, that. I
1: have no problem with that. Like even if Freeman comes out at the end of his deal and says, "I'm not taking a discount," I won't be the one that kills him. Like. Guys, get their money. I mean, they can They can play until they're you know thirty something years old, and that's it. Get your money. I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, definitely. also fine with. If he wants to take a discount, it's kind of to each his own. But neither Harper nor Machado is taking a discount. <laughs> we kind of know maybe they take five million less somewhere um, that they want to go, but five million over the course of that contract is not really a discount. Like they would, they would have to take a serious chopping block discount, and that's not going to happen. So.
0: And the usual, like some of the discount things you hear are like places based on like tax issues, but I don't think either of the uh, Florida or Texas teams are really going to go hard after either of those two guys. Can Even you imagine if act-
1: Miami signed Bryce Harper? No, no I weirdness, and they just I, like all oh, right, here's Bryce. I absolutely million.
0: could not. It would be it would be like the twelve-year, four hundred million dollar deal, and. If that happened after they after traded Stanton. Stanton for nothing, it would yeah. be just the most absurd thing in sports history.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of—I said that just for shock value more than anything. But the Marlins just did this with, with Stanton. They they signed him to the, to the biggest deal in the history of the game, and then traded him. How long after? Not long. I think
0: three or four years.
1: I think it was less than that. I think, I think it might have been like a year and a half. Like it was not a long time. I (laughs) do not think it was a year and a half. It was Dude, they gave him so much okay, I'm looking now. Now I'm gonna while we while we talk, I'm gonna look. But the overarching point is like if they do that, everybody's gotta know that is not going to end well. It was three years. He was there three years? Okay, I was wrong.
0: Three years, and he won the MVP in the third year. And but he had the opt out after twenty twenty to opt out six years into a thirteen million dollar deal.
1: Oh, now I know why I thought that. He got dealt before before he got the big raise. The yes. Last year the last year he was in Miami, he made fourteen and a half million. Oh. And the first year he was in he was in New York he made he made twenty five million. That's why. God, he I never hate, got I, the big money from Miami.
0: God, I hate that franchise so much.
1: <laughs> anyway, that was a sort of a non sequitur. But uh all that to say, right off Machado right, right off Machado, right off Harper, and uh Focus on guys who the Braves actually might get. One question I wanted to ask you, and I did not prep you for this. I kind of want to see your, your your raw reaction. Jeff Schultz wrote this week on the Athletic that he thought starting pitching is the biggest need for the Braves. I disagree with that. I will say that I told Jeff that, um, or was, I think I told Jeff that. I think I remember. I think I replied. But regardless, I'll tell Jeff that now. He's listening. Hi, Jeff. I like we're, we're, Jeff and I are friends, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't agree with him on that one. What's What's the biggest need for you on this team? I think it's pretty clear. Like what the Braves. There's spots the Braves have to do. Like they have to get a right fielder or a left fielder, whatever they do there, because because Marquickis is a free agent. They have to sign a catcher because they only have one. But aside from that, like what do you think just big picture is the team's biggest need? Because for me it's not starting pitching, but I, I think it's not insane to say that it is. I just don't agree with that, if you know what I mean.
0: Bench and bullpen one and one A. I feel like we've been saying this for years that the Braves have a terrible bench and need to get like more guys on the bench that are not terrible, but oh my gosh, they need like a guy who can play all three, all three outfield positions and another guy like Culberson that can play all across the infield and can actually hit a lick. So you're not, you turning to someone like a struggling Adam Duvall in the clutch and the bullpen, man, like, they're, like, there are great seasons from guys like uh, Brock and Winkler and Carl, but you can't depend on those guys for so long. They're not locked down, long-term options. They need actual, like, talent in the bullpen, and, oh, man, it really just blows my mind that, like, in the fifth inning, we're having to deal with bullpen issues again. It drops drives me crazy that this happens year after year after year. And if they're not going to sign guys for the bullpen, then they need to convert some of these pitchers they have in AAA. Like, Max Free, they need to do something with him. They need to either make him a starter at the major league level or make him into a multi-inning bullpen weapon in the vein of Josh Hader or something like that. They can't just have him straddling the line. I feel like they just need to do something with that bullpen because it's so so disappointing year after year after year.
1: Yeah, I, I think they're going to do something in the bullpen. I don't think it's going to be Kimbrell, but I think they're going to do something at the end there. They, they do have Darren O'Day coming, who is good when he's healthy. So we'll see how that looks. Um, and they don't really lose anybody in the bullpen. That's the thing. Like maybe uh, you know the, the always, inter, the always um, I guess, party trick um, statement is that Johnny Ventures is still on arbitration. Um, you know, he's like mid thirties, um, the is still in arbitration. So he's not going anywhere. For instance, um, they're not losing anybody this year, but I think they're going to have to add someone there. The bench is a more complicated thing. That's sort of a segue into the lineup review that we're going to do here, because I know a lot of Braves fans want to say Camargo in that multi-position role, but Camargo seems to be at third base full time because the Braves have now said publicly, at least that they're comfortable with their infield. Austin Riley's coming up. There's lots of fluid parts, but I think you and I are both on the, on the side of the being more like the Dodgers and Cubs and then just having like 12 guys that can play everywhere versus having eight guys. Like it's pretty, I think it's, it seems like it's so obvious, but then there are a lot of fans that just, that really only care about the starting eight and don't really care about positional versatility, all that stuff. For, for me, it's like pretty plain to see when you see teams like the like, like, like the Dodgers and the Cubs that there's a lot of value to having, you know, 10, 11, 12 guys who are all, who are all starting caliber players. I think it just kind of writes itself, especially in the National League. But um, a lot of fans just don't see that necessarily. So I don't know. I don't don't know how you get that. I mean, I don't know how you address it just because you're going to have to sign guys or acquire guys. It doesn't mean Camargo has to be one of them, but he's just there. He's the obvious guy that plays everywhere. But you, you just need more depth. I think that's very clear. We talked about it a ton. I think you and I did during the playoffs. I know Scott and Eric and I did. But depth is a thing. It was obviously more pronounced this year because you had the injury to Swanson. You had some other weirdness in the outfit, like Duvall being terrible unexpectedly, but death wasn't going to be good. Even, even, even with Swanson healthy and with Duvall being okay, it wasn't going to be a strength anyway. And at some point they're going to have to address that.
0: Yeah. And with Mark seemingly moving on, I just hope we can close the book on the Ryan Flaherty era for good, because oh I, I'm pretty well over. It. I mean, essentially this year, the Braves had like two, Two solid contributors on the bench, and one of them was the backup catcher. I guess you can call him the backup catcher since he played less. They can never be used in any circumstance in case the starting catcher gets hurt. So you're looking at Culberson, first guy off the bench, and then that's it. I mean, Preston Tucker for four months, Adam Duval for two. It's Basically, kind of Preston of-
1: Tucker for like a month was pretty good. And other than, other than Culberson, the rest of the bench, same with Flaherty. Flaherty had a good two weeks. And the rest of the bench all season was terrible, honestly. I am
0: am looking at some of the guys on this bench. I mean, we had Peter Borges. I completely forgot Peter Borges was great. Oh, he came
1: back for another tour of duty. Peter was around, briefly. Jose
0: Bautista, Danny Santana. I remember the Danny Santana era. Lane Adams was actually really good. I I don't know why they didn't give Lane Adams more time. Lucas Duda was the perfect guy for that bench, even though he can't play the field at all. Uh, Rio Ruiz was there. I he was don't around. remember Rio Ruiz doing much of anything. Uh, Rene Rivera got four plate appearances. Good for him. Uh, Michael Reed got seven.
1: Yeah, playoff That's sheriff nothing. Rene Rivera, though. He was on the roster. He was around. So, anyway, <sighs> yeah. uh, we can go back to the, let's, let's talk, let's talk about the lineup here, because you know, we've reviewed the rotation. We've reviewed the bench. We've been, we've reviewed the bullpen. The lineup is. We haven't really hit on. I know we talk about these guys a lot, so I'm not going to go like the full deep dives here. But sort of as a transition to 2019 versus 2018, Steamer projections came out. I think last week, and that was the first of the big projection systems that are, that have arrived. For people that don't that don't always look at these, they're going to be modest most of the time. Uh, these these systems kind of bring everything back to the middle. So. For instance, Freddie Freeman's only projected for four wins above replacement, which is obviously pretty modest. Acuna only for three. That's very modest, for instance. But this also can be instructive just to see what the system sees in these guys. They factor in a lot of stuff, whether it be minor league performance based on how young guys are and how you know, major league performance for guys that are older, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll just kind of go through the guys who we know will be back. Marquez is the only one of the starting eight that we know... Well. We don't know will not be back, but we that we do not know will be back. Marquez, I guess, could come back, but we'll, we'll save him. We'll save him for later because he's not someone that we know is going to be back in 2019. But let's just do Freeman and Cunha first because those guys are the centerpieces. We know about them. Uh, Freeman, we mentioned before, was an MVP for f- four months and then cooled off after that. Was still about a five-win player. Had a 137 WRC plus. He was elite as he always is. But are you worried at all that he cooled off and never really popped back again? I mean, there were moments late in the year, but um, it wasn't like a huge power season for Freeman. Only 23 homers. He definitely did slug 500, but not much above 500. Are you... I mean, worried's the wrong word, but what is Freddie Freeman for next year? Because Steamer doesn't love him. Like, they like him a lot, and he's treated very well there, but not like... if he If he does what Steamer projects, which is a about an 884 OPS and 27 homers. He's not like an elite, elite player if that happens.
0: The funny thing is, like, Freeman finished 2018 with stats that look very similar to his career numbers. I mean, yeah. finished year with a 378 Woba, uh, 137 WRC plus for his careers at 374 and 136. So it's like he right was just, on.
1: Yeah, he was just so, like, 2016 and 17 were his two best seasons. And I think, and I think people at least, you know, 2017, he was, uh, he had some injury stuff, but on a per, on a per plate appearance basis, 2016, 2017 were like a new baseline for Freeman where he was like, actually like an Uber elite player. Whereas before that he was very, very good and borderline elite, but was like the last two seasons before 2018, he was like, if not the best first baseman, baseman in the league, one of the very best to be sure. And like one of the top five hitters in baseball over, over two seasons, whereas this year, he was very good, and still probably a top 10-ish player in the league, but not a top 5-ish player in the league. So that, that's it's a small gap, but it's also a meaningful one. And, by the way, he's 29 now, so maybe it's time for him to slow down a little bit. You know, first baseman doesn't really have to age as fast as some other players do, but worth noting, he's not the youngest guy in the world anymore.
0: And even though he did quote unquote struggle in the second half last year. He wasn't his, bad. <laughs> his lowest OPS for the month was seven ninety one in August. So it's not like he was it was, it
1: was really just absolutely powerful.
0: terrible and unplayable. He was still yeah. really good and above average, just not, you know, soul taking like he was during the first three months of the season.
1: And it was just power, honestly. That's most of it. I mean, the OBP's there. Uh we know what it is. He's good at getting on base. He's For all of his um, other strengths, he's just an awesome all-field hitter. And he kind of always has been. But he's just very good. And I I think the big question with Freeman is power. And we kind of knew that. There was a, you know, I think two-plus years ago, we were having this discussion. There was a world in which he never hit 35 homers in a season. Now we've seen him do that. And then 2017, he would have done that if he hadn't gotten injured. Um, The question is, can he do that again? Because, you know, 23 this year, it's not all home runs. Slugging 500 is just fine, obviously. It's very, very good. But does he have another bounce back up into the mid-30s in home runs? I don't know. And this is not, again, this is Fred Freeman. He's the best player on the team until until or when um, Ronald Acuna becomes the best player in the world, maybe. But right now, 2019, Freeman's still the guy I would project as the best player on the team um, if I was having to project, even if the gap's smaller between him and Acuna than it might have been a year ago. What do you expect from Freeman in 2019? I guess it's probably the easiest way to put that.
0: I mean, I think he's going to have another similar year to the way he, the one he had in 2018. It'll be interesting to see how the lineup is constructed this year because, you know, he's always he's always been in that same spot in the lineup with. He's not moving. You yeah. know, and he's not the- moving. And there really isn't like that, you know, solid power hitting option. Even though Marquez wasn't a power hitting option, but I digress. To put behind him in the lineup, and like, are you really going to want to put Acuna further down in the order? Or are nope. you going to want to move Albies down in the order? Or are you going to dare move Enciarte up in the order? I think whoever the right fielder is is going or, to play Or the left fielder. That's they, how they the field. to do there. Whoever the third outfielder is is going to play a huge role in Freeman's season because if they get if they got a guy like say Michael Brantley, he's not like the kind of guy that's going to strike the fear into the hearts of the opponents, but he could you know be a nice like piggyback for Freeman in the lineup. So. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens there. And the health also worries me because the guy wants to play every day. He wants to be in the lineup so often, and he needs someone to pull the reins a little bit. If he's sore or achy, he needs to be told, okay, you're getting the day off to rest because you're too important. Because I don't want to see him going out there every day when he's not 100% and possibly getting even more hurt, damaging his performance, damaging his value.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, and uh, we'll see how that looks moving forward. Because he's a guy, as you mentioned, that likes to play every single day. Freeman's very good. Uh, we'll put in at the third spot in the lineup. I do think that the out, the third outfielder is the swing here. We don't know who it's going to be, um, and with that said, we don't have much information on that right now. But we'll uh, talk about that more when it happens. Going on the list here, Acuna is the next guy that's obvious to talk about. He was incredible this year as a rookie. Um, you know, he actually led the team in WRC, WRC plus by the end of the year. He outslugged Freeman, and he had and he had a better overall offensive. Um, profile on a per plate appearance basis, which is... And by the way, he actually led the team in home runs as well, which is kind of crazy, given that he only played 111 games. Um, Acuna, we know is incredible. Does he have potentially the little step back? Not a step back necessarily, but does, does, does he come out of the gate and struggle a little bit, sophomore slump kind of thing? Or do you think he's just going to be this guy who is like already elite at whatever he is, 2021?
0: I actually think he's going to have something like a similar pattern to his 2019 as he had in 2018 where he struggled a little bit early on and then he turned it up to a completely different level hopefully not with a stint on the DL in the middle of that I think he's just going to have a little bit of a slow start with pitchers kind of uh, having more tape on him knowing how to pitch him how to work him and then once he gets the chance to adjust to them I think he's going to take off and have another MVP caliber season
1: which makes sense, and for what it's worth, Steamer projects him to lead the team in home runs with 28. Um, also lead the team um, in steals, by the way, which at 25, which is a little bit surprising, but not that surprising. He's very fast. Uh, and strikeouts, uh, one, one, 161. So uh, they, have him, they have him set for about a three uh, 3.2 war. I would take the over on that if I was a betting man. Um, but Yeah, looking at it, a lot of it is based
0: on his defensive value, which we know is a little bit screwy.
1: A little bit. I, I want to see him play right field. I do think I've said that before. I think it was kind of crazy last year that he didn't, that he wasn't playing right field. Um, but this year, if Martinkus is not back, I don't really see a reason why you wouldn't play Kuni in right field. I know they wanted to kind of – the party line was that they wanted to play him in left uh, given the way that it's kind of weird at SunTrust Park. But now with a full year of reps, his arm is cannon-like. Put him in right field, it's it's time to go ahead and do that. Unless, of course, they get someone who's an elite defender, which I don't know who that player is. Um but regardless, Acuna is going to be better defensively than I think he gets credit for by a Steamer, and offensively they like him quite a bit. Not not, not quite as much as Freeman on the whole, but uh, he's still the second best hitter on the Braves, comfortably by the Steamer projections, which makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I think another reason they didn't uh, move him to right field is because, uh, and given Marcakis' age and the fact that he really hasn't played left field at SunTrust, if moving him from right to left, like. A month or whatever it was into the season might have just really been a little bit uh, difficult for him and been a bit of a uh, rough adjustment period given his uh, – he spent most of his career in right and done so much there.
1: Which makes sense and obviously that worked out pretty well. Markega's played well this season, so that worked out for everyone involved. Um, so after the top two guys who we know are very, very good, there isn't a ton of optimism from Steamer at least. And the rest of the projections. Uh, Ozzy Albie's is treated very, very well on the whole, based a lot on his defense, uh, and he, he's actually projected as the third best hitter on the Braves on the Braves roster for 2019, after Cooney and Freeman. With that said, it's a big, it's a big drop um, from from those two guys. They like him to be better than he was late in the year and not as good as he was early in the year, which makes sense. Uh, they have him projected for three and a half WAR, a 7.71 OPS. Um, a little bit lower in the on base percentage that you would like, three twenty four. But Albies um, was a hot and cold season. So looking back a little bit on Ozzy, it's tough to make too much of it because you know he had the huge power early and he didn't get on base, which is kind of so weird from what we thought he was going to be. Because his size is what it is, his profile in the minors was is what is what it is. You know, a guy that fast having a three hundred five OBP is a little bit worrisome. At the same time, it probably should improve. And defensively, we know what he is. He's awesome at second base. So, which player do we get? Do we get the first half Ozzy, who was just like incredible, or the second half Ozzy, where he's really struggled at the plate and was kind of lost at times?
0: I think he got a little too homer happy after that first half he had and it was constantly trying to swing for the fences and was changing his approach in the uh, second half. I'm looking at his batted ball stuff now, and it and actually actually he hit fewer fly balls in the second half imagine that but like (laughs) i really just think that after you know full off season looking at everything i think he'll have everything adjusted a little bit better become a little bit more well-rounded of the hitter remember he's only going to be 22 in january he's still still super young still super talented and with his speed he doesn't need to hit the ball too hard he doesn't need to hit the ball over the fence to reach base he's a guy that uh He's incredibly talented and I think that uh, I think that his second full year in the majors is going to be uh, a lot different than his first one I think it's gonna be a little more consistent and not be all across the board like last year was
1: I agree I think he's just very good I mean the defense really helps to provide a baseline because he's pretty much elite at second um that's really helpful and then offensively we know what the skills are he's really fast he, he does have some power as, as he's displayed this year. I think you want to see him walk more. I think you want to see him just put the ball and play more. And that's interesting. I mean, it's um obviously someone who I think probably would be who I would pick to finish third in WRC Plus as Steamer projects. Um, but there's some variance there. We saw that in the second half of the season. So we'll see how he responds. Uh, the other guy who would be in, in contention for that honor uh, of being the third best hitter of the returning guys um, would be Joh- Johan Camargo, who was better than Albies this year on the whole offensively. Um, and the fact that he finished with a 115 WRC+, that was better than I thought he was going to be. I've been lower on him than I should have been so far. He's proven me wrong a couple of different times, and this year was uh, another one of those times with Camargo. Um, Steamer likes him to come back um, considerably, though, back to a 97 WRC+, projection, which is a below-average hitter. Uh, That wouldn't surprise me. I do think they're probably leaning on his minor league numbers a little bit, which is what I did, and trying to say that I had my guard up with Camargo. I never thought he was going to be this because he just didn't do it in the minor league level. And I'm, I'm guessing a little bit, but I would assume Steamer's using that a little bit as the reason why he might regress, but what kind of hitter is he? It's tough to figure out, but he was so good this year that you can't write off that happening again.
0: Yeah, I still don't know who the real Camargo is Me because in, 20, in 2017, you know, he was like perfectly league average, fine bench bat kind of guy and last year, you know, he was arguably like a everyday starting player. He looked great, but I think a lot of the... uh spike in his power like a lot of these guys due to the changes in the ball from minors to the majors. We've been seeing this with a ton of guys who could not hit in the minors and they come to the majors and they're suddenly Barry Bonds reincarnated. So uh, I don't know if they're going to change the ball. I don't know what's going to go on with that. But with Camargo, I mean... He's given no indication that he shouldn't be given the everyday job at third base, and I think it would be kind of disrespectful to take away a starting everyday position from him given the year he had in 2018. I do think the Braves need to have some kind of uh, contingency plan in place in case he does struggle and is best suited to a bench role, but uh, overall I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic about him going forward, I guess you could say.
1: I think that's probably where i am too so to a certain extent i'm not i'm not in the camp that i know a lot of fans are And i understand this of just saying that he's like immovable at third base that he's just going to be there forever um i'm not quite there I, I do think that he should be given a chance to do that again um but i'm also wouldn't stop the braves from acquiring a upper tier third baseman that's kind of where i my line is is that i wouldn't replace him at third base with just anyone, like I would be just if you go out and get a, a real a really really uh, sort of an upgrade at third base, then I'm okay with that. But if not, just bring the band back. And if he struggles a little bit, you have Austin Riley coming, who I know that know the Raves like. They might trade him, but if they don't trade him, he's their best. He's, he's their best position player, bat in the system right now, probably. Uh, there are other guys who are similar prospects overall, but his is basically bat driven. Whereas like Pache and Waters, those guys are sort of multi multi tool players. Whereas Riley is a bat. Um, First and foremost, so I think Comargo should be the starting third baseman the majority of the time. Going back to where we were a couple minutes ago, though, depth is important, and I think if the Braves took a different approach, you might see him play other positions, like still get starter-level plate appearances. Like 500 for the season, but also you know spent some time in left field or spent some time at shortstop or spent some time somewhere else. Like he's the perfect kind of player that he could be taking advantage in that way. Um, whereas the Braves are not doing that, and they're not doing that now because they don't really have the roster to do it. But if they had a different roster and had more depth, he could be like Javier Baez light, and that he plays everywhere and hits and does. Does, he's not going to be that kind of player, but he could be that that sort of player. In the fact that he does play all over the place and has a cannon for an arm, etc. Right now, though, with the roster the way it is, he probably just needs to be a third baseman.
0: He really now that I'm starting to think about it, and you mentioned bias. He really starts to remind me of Martín Prado, a guy that yep. can play. He guy that can play everywhere. Good enough to start, but if you get a guy who's an upgrade, you're going to go for the upgrade, like uh, the Braves thought they did with Dan Ugla, and we all know how that ended up. But, I mean, Prado was a valuable member of the team. I think Camarga could be a valuable member of the team as well in that kind of role. How would you feel if they went after someone like a Donaldson or a Mustakis on a one-year pillow-type contract, would that be enough to bump Camargo to a bench role?
1: Um, I think Donaldson, yes, Mustakas no. Um, Donaldson we have seen be like an MVP level player, whereas Mustakis is not. Um and I think it's different it's interesting. I think there's a way you can construct a, your roster where you are platooning Camargo and Mustakis at third base, but also playing Camargo somewhere else. Like that's the thing. Where is the second position for Camargo, or is he just a backup? Like that—that's kind of the question. Like, you know, in the—for instance, if the Braves don't don't land an upper tier third outfielder, is Camargo splitting time with someone there? Um, that's kind of where I where where I flip the question is to say, it depends on where they go because I'm not a huge fan of Camargo going to shortstop a lot because I think Swanson's defense is so valuable. We'll talk about him in a second. That's the position that everyone wants to point to as Camargo moving is to shortstop. I would not do that um, for defensive purposes. With that said, he can play there. So if you find us if suddenly like maybe you're platooning those guys and you're shuffling. You're shuffling it's never as easy as it probably should be. But Mustakis, I think you sign him if you get him for cheap. If nothing else, he's good depth and he'd be your best. He'd be your best bench bat. But I think Donaldson and Mustakis are different. And that M- Donaldson, you can at least see the path to him being, like, an elite player. Whereas Mustakis, we kind of know what he is. He's not that. He's a power guy. He hits righties, etc. But he's not going to ever just, like, be a 5 win guy. Whereas Donaldson might just catch the magic again and be awesome. So that, that's kind of the dividing line for me is, like, what what is the upgrade? I, I'm not sure Mustakis is an upgrade on, on Camargo. And I advocated for the Braves training for Moustakis. I still would have done that this year if they were able to do that, but it wouldn't have necessarily just been to bench Camargo. It would have been to platoon Camargo and have a, and have a deeper bench. And that's still what you would do now. If you brought in Mustakis. I just think Camargo with the way he played in 2018 might just be better than Mustakis. So that's kind of the divider for me. Is it someone, if, if the guy, I think this is the best way I'll say it. If they bring in a guy who can be better than Camargo was in 2018, which was a three-win player. Camargo was very good this year. If they have a guy who can come in and be better than that more often than not, then you sign that guy. Moustakis doesn't fit that bill for me. I'm not sure Camargo can repeat what he did last year, but at least he he just did it for a full season, so he's at least capable of it. I'm not sure Moustakis is an upgrade on that. I am sure that a healthy, good Josh Donaldson is.
0: I do not disagree with the word you said there. And I think that kind of speaks to the value of Camargo that the Braves can kind of, they don't have necessarily have this kind of like, set list of stuff they need to do because Camargo's versatility can allow them to go in a number of different directions and say, maybe they can get a great value at third base and do something else with Camargo in the outfield. Like you just mentioned, maybe they can, uh, get the outfielder and they don't have to worry about third base at all because of Camargo. Maybe they can get both of them and they can move Camargo to a super utility role. I think that's another reason why, uh, he is so important to this team next year and his sustained offensive performance will be uh, key to the Braves going back to back next
1: year. Yep. And I'll be good. If he's, if he, listen, if he's the open day third baseman, I'll be okay with that. Whereas this year I was worried about it this uh, 2019. I won't be, I think he should have at least a moderately short leash as a like, no doubt every single day player. But if he plays like he did this year, he's just fine in that role, making very little money. And that uh, provides a lot of value. Um, after that, you have the two defense-first guys and NCRT and Swanson. Um, NCRT has been more consistent with the bat. Um, you know, this year was not a good year for Ncarte at the plate. He had a 90 wRC plus. He was still better than Swanson. Uh, he did he did sort of heat up late in the year to uh, make it better than it was early on. Um, but you know, two interesting players, two guys. I've not really heard Swanson's name in trade stuff. There was a couple people that at least mentioned Ncarte's name in trade talks. Even even people that have uh, who, are, who are around the team. You know, it makes sense because of Acuna, but what do you make of these guys? Like, can you get, we've seen, we see we've seen enter Anciarte do it, like basically league average production offensively. He didn't do it this year, but we've at least seen it, whereas Swanson was better this year, but still not very good offensively. So I guess we'll start with Arte. What do you think about him now? Is he just, this, he's just basically just the same guy all the time, I'm assuming, because he's just been this for what, four years now, like league average offense-ish and elite defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's what he is. He's a guy that can maybe pop you 10 homers, steal 20 bases. In a good year, he'll hit 300. He won't strike out a lot. He won't walk an extreme amount. He'll play incredible defense in center field. In the old days, he would be quoted as the prototypical leadoff hitter. Nowadays, he's probably like a guy best suited in the seven or eight hole. Yes. And then there's Swanson, who I want him to be so much better than he is so much, but I'm really not sure if it's happening. And when you're looking at a guy like that at a position like shortstop – I'm really not sure the Braves can't do better somewhere and maybe convert him to like a super utility role because I think he could thrive in a spot like that if he's not going to be able to hit more. And I just don't know how much longer they can keep like being optimistic and hoping for him to offensively turn the corner and hit like the guy he did his rookie season in 2016. I just don't know if it's ever going to come.
1: It might not, and that's I mean I've been optimistic on Swanson more than some. I think these guys are linked in this way. I think it's really hard to be a full-fledged World Series contender if you have two guys who are below average hitters in your lineup plus your catcher spot. And that's what they have in NCRT and Swanson. Granted, NCRT has been more consistent, but his three seasons with the Braves at the plate, ninety-seven WRC plus, ninety-eight WRC plus. 90 WRC plus, three years sub 100. He's had one season of 100, and it was actually it was exactly 100. His last his last year in Arizona. He, this is what he is. He's a slightly below, he's a slightly below average hitter offensively. That's not it's not a killer by any means when you're playing great defense in center field, but he needs to be hitting seventh or eighth. And then if you have Swanson, who's been even worse offensively. Granted, it is shortstop in center field, which does help. Those are the two spots. If you had to pick two to play defensive first guys. Those are the two spots. But if you're seven and eight hitters or Swanson and Enciarte, it's not great. I mean, you're kind of, not that they're automatic outs, but your your lineup kind of comes to a shrieking halt at the end of your lineup. Where, especially if you have a catcher spot where, I mean, they've been kind of, lucky is the wrong word, but they've been kind of fortunate recently in that they've had two guys who were both pretty good hitters for the last two years in Flowers and Suzuki. A more normal team has a number one catcher that plays, you know, four out of six days, and then two out of six days you're playing a pretty bad player. And if on the nice on the days that you're that you're playing a pretty bad hitter at catcher, you now have three bad hitters in your lineup. And that's tough. So I'm not saying you have to trade one of these guys, but I think either you have to trade one of them or Swanson has to break out. Because I I can't see a situation where NCRT suddenly is a lot better of a hitter he's at the age now and we have four full seasons of him being not exactly the same but basically the same hitter for four straight years he kind of just is what he is swanson you can at least squint and see more but if he he does the same thing this year that he did the last two that optimism might be out the window as well so this is a big year for him that's pretty obvious but i mean i'd be okay with shopping one of them or exploring situations, as you as you kind of mentioned, where maybe you're playing Camargo somewhere shortstop, maybe you're playing some different guys somewhere else for Swanson. I think if is on your team, he's got to play every day because his defense is just so good. you got, you got to play him in center field every day and just kind of accept what he is offensively and hit him eighth, hopefully. But having both those guys in the lap is kind of tough for me uh, in seeing the best version of the Braves offense.
0: And, I mean, you can get away with having two guys like that, again – if you have a strong bench with guys that are better hitters that can play multiple positions okay instead of elite, like
1: uh, or if you have too- grandall, by the way. Okay. Or if you have grandall or real muto at short I at Catcher, that also helps. But if you have Tower Flower if Tower Flowers is your is your better half of your platoon again at Catcher, it gets a little dicey. And not that it, flowers is good, I've always defended him, but you need to have more depth and that's tough. So yeah, I, 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 I'm supporting your point and also saying there are different var- var- variables in play. You're six guys in your in your lineup that are not these two guys or your catcher. Uh, your, sorry, your, your other five guys you kind of know about, but it's you can't have three empty spots. Not oh yeah, again, they're not I mean, empty, if, but you know what I mean.
0: If the Braves are going with Chris Stewart or Renee Rivera or Rafi Lopez as their backup catcher, it's going to be a rougher offensively. Well, even, even better than that,
1: though. Even if it's like if, if it's Suzuki again, for instance, just just say it's Chris Suzuki again at age whatever he is, 37. It's probably expected that he's going to regress a little bit more and maybe you have Flowers as a league average catcher and then you have someone a little bit worse than that. That's not bad in, in the aggregate, but if you have that plus Swanson plus Enciarte, your offense is not going to be that good unless everybody else is great.
0: And mind you, this is with a completely healthy lineup.
1: That's what I'm saying. I mean, and the depth, and that goes back to your point, the depth, depth is important. I think Anthopolis probably knows that, especially after he just had to watch that playoff team with basically one bench bat, one and a half bench bats with with your backup catcher on Lucas Duda. That was their entire bench. I think he probably was reminded during that that they're going to have to get more depth. But yeah, I mean, again, it's not it's not a criticism of NCR Tan Swanson, but it is a lineup construction question mark for me to just go in with those two guys, unless they just believe in Swanson. And I don't know if they do. I mean, Anthopolis didn't didn't trade for Swanson. He didn't draft Swanson. He may just think that he's this guy. And if he does, it's a tough sell in some ways. I mean, they're not bad players. Swanson was still like a two-win player this year, even, even with an AEWRC plus because of his defense. But you're going to have to get by on the margins in some other places.
0: Yeah. It's really going to be kind of a uh, defining season for him, whether whether he goes to the uh the land of being an everyday starting shortstop for the next five ten years or whether he goes to the land of being essentially charlie culberson so we're gonna really see what happens there and i hope i i think we all hope he kind of has that breakout year hits like 15 dingers hits 300 that would be great just but be the league average. I mean,
1: that's the thing. Just be Ncarte at the plate. Honestly, <laughs> it's it's, it's a different player. But if Swanson goes from eighty, WRC plus to like ninety five, that doesn't seem like a huge g- jump. But that that's all he's got to do. If he does that, he's a three one player, and you never have to worry about him again. Like he's just your short. <laughs> he's just your shortstop. It won't be pretty necessarily, but if he's play if he's playing defense the way he did in twenty eighteen, and hitting just a little bit, you're fine.
0: Oh man, I. I... <laughs> I'm getting, like, somewhat nervous about this now, talking to you about it more. No, no, the,
1: and it's not just that. I mean, I, this is sort of the whole conversation is to talk about the lineup. Big picture, Steamer projects three guys on this roster right now as above-average hitters. Three. And the third is Albies at 105. Granted, they have some guys in the 90s, NCRT 94, Camargo 97, Flowers 99. They have some guys who are basically... That's basically league average. But this, right now... We said this during the season. This is not a World Series offense, and I mean they they can get a right fielder that's gonna that that might be an upgrade on Marquez, but unless it's someone who we are not expecting, if it's Michael Brantley who's the most um, popular linked name to the Braves, that isn't a World Series offense in my opinion. If, if with Michael Bradley Michael Brantley in right field, unless you have some, I mean maybe if Acuna is just like Mike Trout, then maybe, but. Their depth isn't great. I mean, you have some guys who... And this isn't a shot at anybody on the roster. You know, Albies has upside, obviously. Camargo was really good this year and probably he might he may, may be able to do that again. Swanson has upside. But compare this lineup, even if you're being optimistic, compare this lineup to what we saw in Boston or what we saw with the Dodgers or the Cubs. Those lineups are just a lot better. It's not like... I'm not, it's not It's not a criticism. It's just kind of the reality. Line them all up. I mean, you have two... Potentially elite or already elite hitters in Acuna and Freeman, and after that, you're hoping on you're hoping that Albie's is that he's got the talent to do it. But other than that, like you don't really have a ton of upside offensively on your roster.
0: I mean, even compare that lineup to the Brewers, who for the season had a very similar offense performance to the Braves, but they look like such a completely different dynamic offense during the playoffs. I don't see that with the Braves right now.
1: Yeah, and again, I'm sure it's going to feel negative. I'm sure fans will be not happy with the way that we're talking about it. It doesn't mean that you're not foreclosing on it. This is the an off season where you can make an upgrade in right field. They can do something else. Also, and that's kind of what we're going back to with what we were saying about uh, NCRT and Swanson. You can have those two guys on the roster if you're really good elsewhere. And right now, they're not really good elsewhere. They have they're good. They're excellent at two spots with Acuna and Freeman, but you probably need like. What Camargo gave you at third base, for instance, and you need Albies to break out, et cetera. So there's some, there's still upside on this team. It's just not the kind of lineup at this moment. Unless you, even when you project like a pretty good third outfielder, that isn't a World Series lineup unless your pitching is awesome.
0: And, and the pitching is definitively not awesome right well, now. Well,
1: it's not. I mean, it could be in three years. With, with, with internal improvement or or you, or you go out and get somebody now, which is at least possible. and we talked about that a couple of different podcasts recently. You trade for Kluber you, or you get Corbin, or you trade for Paxton or whatever you do. You could be really good at, at pitching. You could be. but right now, if you run, if you run the band back, you probably won't be. Like you, you might be good. You're not going to be great pitching in 2019 unless you get unless you get someone from outside the organization. I would imagine
0: yeah and that's really just not the best situation to be in right now I mean the team is fine as it's still a good baseball team I mean it's good but it's not good enough
1: that's what I'm saying I mean I think people have underestimated the gap between where the Braves are right now or where they were in 2018 and the elite teams we saw it in the playoff series against the Dodgers where they were just better up and down the roster and this is a Braves team that won more games than the Dodgers did, or at least won the same amount of games, basically, as the Dodgers. But you look at that team versus the Dodgers were really unlucky to win whatever they won ninety one or ninety three or whatever they won this year. They were unlucky. That's probably that was that was a hundred win roster they had. You look at look at the look, look at the American League. Put the Braves from twenty eighteen alongside the Red Sox or the Astros or even the Yankees. It's not even comparable, and. Some of that's American League stuff, but just depth and upside and all that stuff. It's not, it's just, in the playoffs, anything can happen, as we saw this year. The Braves could have won that series against the Dodgers. I mean, they, with the way it happened during the series, we weren't saying that. But before the series started, I would have probably made them like a 40% chance to win it. It's baseball. But roster-wise, depth-wise, talent-wise, they're not as good as the upper echelon teams. They can change that a lot this offseason, if Anthopolis gets busy and spends money and makes trades because they have both the capital in trades and the flexibility in payroll to make huge improvements. But until they do that, we're kind of guessing is where I am. Yeah, and I
0: mean the Braves have two top, what, be optimistic and say two top 20 players in the National League, but do they have another one in the top 60?
1: The only other guy, the only other guy for 2019 that I think you can reasonably hope is a like upper tier player positionally is Albies. And that's basically if he hits the way he did in the first half or at least close to that, then he could still be he could be a five one player pretty easily. But you're hoping there.
0: Yes, of course. You've and at least seen
1: it, though, with Albies. And, you've and essentially, him. we're
0: building off of, what, two strong months to start the year?
1: I mean, plus his prospect status and his defense. And I think you've at least seen him be the kind of player that could be a top 20 guy in the National League. You've seen it. It could be. I agree with you. You only have two guys you can project as that with Freeman and Acuna. After that, I mean, if Camargo replicates what he did last year, he's... You know, a, he's a good starter. He's not an elite player, but he's a good starting baseball player. And that's hugely valuable. But the only other guy you have in your starting eight that really has, like, legitimate five-win upside is Albies. NCR doesn't have it. Camargo doesn't really have it, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he does. Swanson, if he just hits the crap out of the ball, maybe. But at this point, I'm hoping for league average offense from him. And that that's a three-win player, not a five-win player. And then... That's it. I mean, maybe Austin Riley just murders the ball when he comes up. But other than that, you got three guys with star upside, and that's kind of it. And the teams that are the best of the best have five of those guys, six of those guys, and you have three. You have two and a half. maybe. Yeah,
0: three. I mean, they need more. It's, yep. it's really that simple. And they're they going to get somebody. I'm,
1: I'm pretty confident that in April, they're going to have another good bat on this roster. I don't know if they're going to sign that player, or they're going to trade for that player, but it's either going to be an impact catcher, which is Grandal or Riomuto, or it's going to be an impact guy at corner outfield or third base or something like that. They're going to do something. But is and, it, uh, if, and if it's I only think... one thing, then it's, your offense is still probably just okay, like okay to good, which is fine, but then you better be good at pitching. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think like when people think see the Harper-Machado links not happening, the Braves don't... I mean they could use a superstar like that, of course, but they don't need like that six, seven, eight win player immediately right now. They we could go with like two, three to four win players in the middle of the roster. That would be absolutely perfect for me.
1: Yeah, and it might happen. I mean, if you add a big time starter and someone in the lineup, you're suddenly much better than you were this year, and this year you were a real division winner. Like, that's a really good baseball team. Um, but it's kind of speaks to the uncertainty. But, you know, the lineup is what it is. We talked about the lineup a lot. At the end of the day, you have two guys you know are awesome in Freeman Acuna. You have a couple of solid but unspe- unspectacular pieces in Enciarte and Camargo. And then you have some uncertainty with Albies, who has more upside. Then you have Swanson, who is uncertain. And catcher. You, know you know what Flowers is. Flowers is a very good player. He's fine but you don't know who your backup is. So, yeah, it's very fluid. Um, and the only guy, I think, from the system in terms of prospects that could make an impact in 2019 is Riley. He's really the only one that could come up and make an impact next year. Am I wrong about that? Do you see anybody else that actually maybe has a path to do that that's not been in the majors before? I think it's probably just him because Pache is probably 2020.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Riley's the only one with that potential as well as the time frame as well.
1: Right. That's, that's kind of so. I mean internally. There isn't that obvious, like it's not like Acuna is coming up next year. Like, was this year we knew Acuna was coming, we knew Albies was, Albie was coming or was already there, basically. This year, it's Riley or nothing. And Riley is not the kind of prospect that Acuna was, he's just not. He might be good, he might be great, but he's not the sure thing ish guy like Acuna. So, there's some questions there, too. So, I think this is probably people are gonna think that we're being negative, and I don't think I actually don't think that we are. I think it's just kind of trying to figure out what the, what these guys are and being realistic. Um there are guys with ups. If everything breaks right, it can be a good offense. If, if Albies is the guy that he could be, he's awesome. And if if uh, Camargo replicates himself from last year, he's excellent. If Swanson lives up to the hype from number 1 pick and you know has a 770 OPS or 800 OPS and is suddenly like a four-win player, great. The percentage chance that all of that happens is not that high.
0: Yeah, it's not like, you know, this is a bad, terrible team that had a completely 2018. They're a good team. They're just not better than the Dodgers. They're not better than the Cubs. Uh, They're probably not better than the Brewers. So it's a team that has room to improve and needs to improve if it wants to take that next step and actually win a playoff series.
1: That's well said. And that's, that's, that's the ultimate goal. I think it's a very different off season this year. I think people could probably tell that from our podcast even, but you know, going into 2018, it was still like, trust the process. It was still look forward. And now this is the price you pay when you win um, is now you're in the present and it's, it's about getting better now and the, the future still matters it's still very bright considering the, the organizational depth that, that the braves have but 2019 is now the focus whereas before 2018 it was like all right 2018 and beyond and right now it's 2019 period the future, yeah. the future still matters but the 2019 season is like the, the expectation now is playoffs and that's what you yeah. did to yourself which is a good thing but that, that's now the baseline
0: yeah with the braves actually contending now i think uh I think some of the sentimentality about some of these prospects kind of has to uh, be tempered a little bit if if Swanson still cannot hit I think conversations need to be had about his future if Inciarte is not kind of uh, not hitting 300 and not looking like the guy he was the past couple of seasons I think that there needs to be a discussion about whether to move on from him or not I think uh, I think There's just a lot of moving balls right now, and I think that uh, nothing should necessarily be off the table, except for trading Acuna for JT Real Muto.
1: Well said. That's a good good addendum to that, and uh, I know we've we've gone long on this podcast, but Joe's not always here, and it's good to talk to Joe, and honestly, we're not going to do a podcast next week unless something crazy happens because it's a holiday weekend. I'm taking the weekend off um if there's a trade i'll come back and talk about it i promise but other than that this is going to be uh, your probably your two-week hangover podcast so um file it away uh, i know if you made it this far then you probably already listened to it clearly but um hopefully you enjoyed this uh, pretty deep divey edition of the podcast joe please um tell people where, where they can find you and your work and i know you're, you're doing a lot of stuff and you're good on good on twitter all that fun stuff so please plug yourself and your sites and all that
0: i'm slaving away at uh, nfl type stuff right now at awful announcing doing a lot there that's uh, stressing me out to a level that i uh, that's really not healthy and uh, i'm on the twitters at joe underscore toc so uh, lots of fun baseball soccer and uh video game chatter there
1: you're doing a lot of jason witten content right now oh,
0: my. don't get me started on jason witten man <laughs>
1: I had to I had to at least poke that out there I'm actually a sports media nerd deep down I know you know that but people that don't know that I like to listen and follow that sports media stuff so I know I knew wouldn't has been a big topic of conversation in Joe's world so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it there. Alright, uh, thank you for coming on as always, Joe. I appreciate it, man. Uh, please follow Joe and their sites and I always read them so you guys should too and he's a great Braves voice as well. As for uh, this podcast please follow TalkingChop.com as well as the site on Twitter at Talking TalkingChop. Follow me at BT Roland. We'll be back again in two weeks unless something crazy happens and then if, if something does happen, if there's a trade for Mike, Mike Trout we'll be here and if, not, if nothing else, please subscribe to the podcast as well. That's something I keep forgetting to say but please subscribe great review of the podcast. That would be hugely hugely helpful for us. If nothing else, we'll see you guys in two weeks.